0: Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation about power. If you have power or privilege, then how do you become a champion for change and use that power for good? My guest is Michael bungay Stanya, author of The Advice Trap and The Coaching Habit, which was the best-selling coaching book of this century with over 700,000 copies sold and more than 1,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. These are two of my all-time favorite books, so the opportunity to sit down with him is very humbling. Today, I give him a call to explore power and privilege and becoming a force for change in the world. I'll write it and we'll do it live. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, Lift off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author, and mentor from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network, and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now, through the is of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really, the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become are more effective leaders. I'm on the phone with Michael Bungay Stanya. Michael is the founder of Box of Crowns, a learning and development company that helps organizations transform from advice driven to curiosity led. He left Australia nearly 30 years ago to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University, where he says his only significant achievement was falling in love with a Canadian, which is why he now lives in Toronto, having spent time in London and Boston. In 2019, he was named the number one thought leader in coaching and was shortlisted for the coaching prize by Thinkers 50, which is kind of like the Oscars of management. It's such a privilege to have him on the podcast. Michael, welcome. It is
1: good to be here. Thanks for having me, Shane.
0: Uh, I appreciate you taking some time. It was, um, it kind of worked out to be perfect timing in terms of when I reached out to you. Um, it was just a kind of a little bit of a serendipitous event that we happened to be able to connect
1: at this time. Um yeah, just appreciate done. it. I mean, I'm normally based in Toronto and Canada, but I'm back in Australia, visiting my parents in Canberra where I grew up. So, you know, for once the time zones actually worked in our favor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I love to do before we jump into the conversation, which I, I'm really looking forward to cause I think it's going to be a really helpful conversation for people, um, is I start off with some fast facts, which is just really your first job. Um, where were you born? So where were you born your first job and then what do you do with yourself now?
1: So I was born in Melbourne. Um, Uh, in cult in colton so i support colton as a afl team even look it's going to be a divisive topic
0: and we've already divided our listeners but that's okay
1: (laughs) exactly come on the mighty blues in fact i um as a random comment there is and, and most australians won't know this there's actually a bit of a thriving afl league in ontario in canada and i joined a team called the toronto central blues just because they actually wear the colton strip but with a red maple leaf and an outline around it so i'm like this is so cool that i get to wear this outfit even though i'm terrible at aussie rules because i grew up playing soccer so it's i'm not that great at it but so born in melbourne but uh, moved to canberra when i was one my dad uh, worked for the public service here so really i'm a Canberra boy Um, Uh, My first job was as a milk runner. So in the days when people got milk delivered to their doors, um, you know, I started when I was about 14 or 15. Um, actually the guy who's my boss is still a, still a friend of mine lives in Sydney now, Greg. Um, and it would be like a two, two and a half hour run around the neighborhood carrying a crate of milk. Um, And, you know, Shane, I've I've never been able to get beyond that job, so I'm still a milk runner. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do I do now? That's a good question. I I don't have a very good description for this, but I founded a company called Box of Crayons, which is a learning and development company. Helps organizations move from advice-driven to curiosity-led. And what that means is we spend a lot of time teaching people how to be more coach-like in in bigger companies like, you know, Microsoft and Salesforce and and companies like that. Um, I'm kind of known for a couple of books I wrote. Um, The most famous is called The Coaching Habit, um, which after three years of trying to get it published with a a regular publisher and being turned down, I finally self-published it. Uh, four years ago, and it's kind of gone gangbusters since then. So it really uh, has. And I often say to
0: people, well, people often ask me the question, "What's the book that you wish you'd written?" And the coaching habit for me was that book. And so oh, I have you. this this weird tension of that I that I love you and I hate you
1: at the same time in equal <laughs> measure. Uh, because oh, I it totally is totally get that. I, I've got a, I've got a number of books in my life where I'm like, "Damn it." I wish I'd written that book because that's that's just how I would imagine a good book to be. So thank you that's a high compliment. Um, but yeah that book has done amazingly well and it's very exciting. So um but a year and a half ago or a year and a quarter ago actually I stepped aside from being the CEO at Box of Crayons. Um, Shannon Miniffy part of the, one of the teams there stepped into that role. And I've really spent a year ish kind of figuring out what's next for me so um that's part of what i'm still trying to explore it's it's a move from you know b2b so selling to enterprises to b2c supporting individuals on something and i've been playing around with what it's like i think it is this is a work in progress but i think it's trying to help people be a force for change in the world Mm. like the world is a bit broken And it requires people, it requires good people to engage and change the world that they're, they're living in to disrupt some of the world, I think. And, um, you know, it's a topic that I've been playing with all my life because, you know, in many ways I tick, I, like I got a really good hand when they were dealing the privilege card pack like i'm like i'm a straight white tall man who's you know over educated speaks english blah 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 i've got a whole bunch of things that tick those boxes and i've for, i don't entirely sure why wiring or something i've always i've never really wanted to try and exploit that privilege, but rather try and disrupt that privilege in some ways. Mm. Um, And I'm like, maybe I can help other people play around with that kind of concept a bit. So yeah, I don't know what I do right now, but helping people be a force for change in the world is what's coalescing is the thing I want to hang my hat on.
0: When we were talking about uh, the conversation that we could have today, um, my brain started firing because obviously I've read your books and I, I love this idea of curiosity and this potential that lies in asking really powerful questions. And you sit there and you go, there's so much that we could talk about. And then we sit down and we go, what, what, what's really exciting? What's energizing you? What's the conversation that's most important right now? And, we, and what the word that came out was this word power. And yeah. that excited me.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in some ways it's a, it feels like an evolution of the impact I'm trying to have in the world because if you think where I'm coming from, which is curiosity and coaching and being more coach-like, there's a lot of reasons you can make great cases for curiosity, but one of the things that I think is really powerful about coaching, particularly if you're a manager or a leader coaching somebody on your team, is it flips the power structure mm. because what an act of coaching does is it says rather than me being the person providing the solution providing the focus making the decision i'm going to hold the space for you to step forward and to take ownership to learn to grow to take control to feel that that kind of connection and that ownership and you know the the newest book i published the advice trap in some ways, it's a deeper dive into why is it so hard to be curious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why, is it, why is that such a struggle? Yeah. Because in theory, it sounds easy. It's like all I'm asking people to do is can you just stay curious a little bit longer and rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly. And it's Some people find it easy, but lots of people find that much harder in practice than they, they would think they should in theory. And when you dig into it, it's like, you know what, curiosity is an act of empowerment and an act of empowerment is an act of giving up power and it turns out that giving up power is actually really hard for most of us because we spend our whole lives trying to get power get Mm -hmm. control feel like you're adding value and it's really a kind of flip around that so this evolution for me shane is connected to that it's like i'm not i'm not leaving it behind i'm Mm -hmm. just moving to a kind of different stage a different kind of evolution of how i'm thinking about this stuff
0: yeah and in many ways the conversations i have with people when they reflect on all of their um their expertise over the years the central theme has always been deeply embedded into it and it's never all of a sudden it's just um, a new thing it's always just emerged out of the the conversation that's been been pre-existing
1: right yeah. I mean, there's a quote I love, which is inspiration is when your past suddenly makes sense. Wow. You know, when you can look back and you kind of make connections around stuff. But I do think also that when you think about growth, it's really interesting to think about stages. And a stage is something that uh, incorporates what's come before, but moves to the next thing as well. So it's like a it's like a tree ring, you know, a mm. tree trunk where you can see the rings of growth, which is like the new ring isn't standalone. It, it, it's based on what's come before and it's also standalone. Mm.
0: I love that. And you, you mentioned that this, I guess, pursuit, and, and maybe pursuit's not the right word for it, but this desire to want to gain power. We, we, we look to kind of get power. What do you think it is about people that is kind of pursuing that or looking to get that? What are we looking for?
1: Well, I, I, I suspect fundamentally it's just one, your, your little lizard brain, your, you know, that kind of unconscious brain, which is like, this is how you survive. Mm. <laughs> you know, in the coaching habit book, I talk about those kind of the, the terror model, the kind of the drivers of engagement, what, um, and it comes back to, first of all, understanding that survival is everything. That's mm. what your brain is here to do. It's like, keep going. if you can keep going there's a better chance of you passing the dna on to whatever's next so it's like the brain asks five times a second am i safe here or is this dangerous safe or dangerous safe or dangerous that's what it's doing unconscious level it's scanning it right now even as you and i look at each other through the the zoom screen in front of us as we talk our brain is like is this safe is this dangerous you know and there are four key drivers that the brain uses to evaluate what's going on t tribe is like are we in within this together is it you and me or is it you versus me Mm. there's expectation do i know what's happening or or not am i clear about the future um there's rank am i more or less important than you um and then there's autonomy do i get to make the choices here or are you making all the choices for me and if you look behind all of those, there's, there's something about control and power behind all of that. Mm. So I think there's just a deep biological piece, which is like you get, you survive by being in control. Yeah. You survive by understanding and, and grabbing as much power as you can, because that's how it works. Even if you're part of a tribe, you're like, I'm in the dominant group. I'm safe. Mm. So in some ways, we're trying to go against, you know, tens of thousands of years of wiring to go, okay, for the next stage, because for us to evolve to where we want to get to as human beings, both as individuals and communities and the planet. Mm. So now you're hearing my messianic side, which is like, (laughs) I'm here to save the world. You're kind of going, okay, so knowing that I'm wired to want to take control if I can, how do i go actually there's a bigger win here which is for me to empower others around me and that's that's the juiciness for me
0: yeah that's that and that's the uh, i mean we're we're in this conversation i i think at the moment um globally if we look at the global conversation that's taking place right now there's a big conversation around power but also the other the other side of power which is that feeling of powerlessness like almost feeling yeah like there's been power that's been taken away from people and so we're seeing i would say not necessarily it's always had a spotlight on it but i feel like there's been a floodlight put on this conversation around power and privilege and also feeling powerless in situations would you kind of agree uh,
1: yeah and one of the questions i mean you and i uh, i mean we're equally good looking we're equally white <laughs> we're equally male and um, equally ish maybe um so you, one of the questions that you know, you and I sit down and ask you, it's like, well, what do we do mm. in this world? Like you've got Black Lives Matter, you've got in Australia, the, the indigenous population who is, you know, massively penalized by the society that they live in. Mm. There's the patriarchy, there's capitalism. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of power structures that, Mean that you and I win, <laughs> yeah, and and we we just we just win, and so like what do we do about that? Because honestly, there's a whole bunch of things we can do that are a, at a superficial level. Which are like, no, I'm like I'm you know I'm I support Black Lives Matter. I'm very pro it, and I'm like I'm gonna put a black square out on my thing, and I you know I care about police brutality, whether it's in the U.S. where it is ridiculously high levels or elsewhere where there's a, there's these kind of broken systems and we can do a superficial level and engage in that. But I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I have my heart broken (laughs) Mm. by what's going on? How do I actually pay a price and be willing to pay a price to allow others to step in and feel that, what's on offer is more equally shared mm. and it's it's difficult because uh, you know on the one hand i'm i really um have a sense of wanting to be committed to that on the other hand i really like my life <laughs> mm. uh, like all the benefits i get i don't even really fully understand all the benefits i get from being the person i am but there's just something about it so yeah it is a really big juicy hard topic right now um and there's there's Broken approaches to how power works on you know on the traditional left and on the traditional right, and I'm just going to try and do my very best to stumble my way forward into this. I read something the other day which was really helpful, which is like knowing that most of what I will do will fail, mm-hmm. like it probably won't work that well. But I'm, um, but I'm up for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to fail nobly. I was having a conversation, um, in the very
0: first episode of this second season with, um, Colonel Tracy, Michael, who's currently over in in the United States. And, and his conversation with me was, he said, we need to be okay with really flawed and broken conversations right now, which is that ability to say the wrong thing and get it wrong and to not be able to express it in a truly articulate way, but just being able to have honest conversations.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think we stumble forward messily. Mm. Um, because the alternatives to go you know what i don't want to say anything or do anything till i know what to say and what to do perfectly and that that just never shows up like it's too hard, it's too messy, it's too complex. You know, part of what this opens up is this kind of engagement and interest in understanding what complexity is and how how you manage through complexity. And it just doesn't work in a nice, safe, mechanical, linear way. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of push into it and everything changes and you're like, okay, now what the hell's happening? And then you've got to kind of reorient from there and go, what's my next best guess mm. at my next best step forward in all of this?
0: I get a sense that um, complexity is a good word. I like that you've chosen that because I feel like uh, when I talk to people about, you know, it might be a conversation around gender bias. It could be a conversation around race. It could be a conversation really about any kind of um, gap in power or distance in power. We go, well, it should just be an easy solution. If we just, this person is empowered, this person, (laughs) you know, steps down, That should be easy, but it's so deeply complex. And so we face complexity and we go, well, okay, it's too complex and so we kind of go revert back to what's normal or what's easy like yeah this is leads to a def- definitely an interesting conversation around how we approach complexity or how do we how do we engage with complexity
1: you know it's it, it's worth setting out um a, a kind of definition of what we even mean by complexity mm-hmm. so um there's a bunch of smart people who've done a ton of work around this from david snowden onwards um here's how i here's the kind of the basic model i have this would be familiar to lots of people but just to kind of lay the groundwork simple complicated complex simple is you know it's it's one plus one it to am in my parents house and at the moment and kind of takes me back to baking a cake when i was learning to cook get a packet of cake mix add an egg add some water put it into the oven at the temperature they say for the time they say and you pretty much get a cake i mean you yeah. have to work really hard to screw that up <laughs> complicated the med- the example i've been told i think is good is like launching the space shuttle you know it is really there's a lot of moving parts but if you get all the moving parts moving in the right order at the right time you basically get a space shuttle uh, launched but complexity is like raising a child or like one of those swirling murmurations of swallows or birds that you see, which is like there's no there's no to-do list here. There's no if you do this then this happens, and if you do this, then this happens. They're they're really run by principles. And they're principles that exist in tension with each other. So when you push on one, it influences the other principles. Like when you see a flock of birds, kind of I'm thinking particularly those murmurations those kind of birds that kind of change shape and Mm. you know like how do they self-organize there and you know the research the scientists have done look they basically have three principles um fly as close to another bird as possible fly towards the center don't run into another bird Mm. and that's it those are the three principles by which those things self-organize and have an emergent property, meaning that stuff keeps showing up and growing from the way individual actors are working. And I just do think that it's like, it's clear that all of these power structures that we're talking from gender to race to capitalism, if we come up with a, if there was a simple answer, we would have found it by now. (laughs) It's just not a simple answer. And in fact, when you get to simple answers, you just find ways of perpetuating the issue. So take cancel culture at the moment, Mm. which is like, you know what? I'm shutting this down. That to me feels like a simple response to people who quite rightly have felt disempowered and that they haven't had a voice and that they are fighting to reclaim their voice. That's exactly the right thing to be doing. But is it the right thing to then do going, we can now shut out other people because, you know, as I say, I'm speaking truth to power. But I'm like, I saw a quote from Margaret Atwood, which said, <laughs> she was perfect. She's like, you know, if you're speaking truth to power, you better be really certain that you've got the actual truth. Mm. And for me, that's the issue, which is like, it, none of us really hold the whole truth. All of us hold a kind of partial truth as to how we see the world. And as soon as we think we've got the answer, we set ourselves up for a bit of a broken response. Mm.
0: I I love that even that distinction between what is truth and what is my truth and what is our truth and what is your truth. And are they the same truth?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And now and now everybody needs to take a philosophy one (laughs) oh one through to three (laughs) oh one course at university for the next five years you know, one of the things
0: that I've loved, um, and these are, this is probably one of the big themes that I saw come through in the coaching habit and the advice trap is there was this, this need to uncover what is not just the surface problem, but is what is the real challenge that sits below that. And, yeah. and I, I did counseling at university. And so it was very pre- uh, present in those conversations around the, the thing that a person shows up with is very rarely the thing that they're really dealing with. Exactly. And, and I reckon in, in many ways we, we, we kind of swim around on the surface of this conversation and Mm -hmm. we're looking for what you said, simple answers. And I know the big theme through your books is like, what are the questions we need to be asking right now that are actually going to help us to explore this? I mean, what are some of the big questions that come to your mind about the things that we should be asking about power and
1: about privilege right now? One of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself is how would I phrase this? I am, I am responsible for this in what way am i responsible for this Mm. you know there's a way of positioning yourself to say actually i'm going to opt in to taking responsibility for what's going on here even though there's a thousand reasons you can make for an argument against it like you know i'm like look i'm australian but look my you know my i've only been here for in australia for two or three generations i wasn't part of the british empire massacring aborigines i wasn't part of captain cook declaring nullius. i wasn't you know i i could i'm trying to wash my hands of all of that but actually let me say look i am responsible for this let me take responsibility how am i responsible then i think there's the next question which is if i wanted to move forward rather than move back <laughs> Mm-hmm. In terms of trying to move to a better fairer world what's 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 my best guess yeah. in terms of something I could try and do you know it it comes down to that crux of it, which is like are you willing to take responsibility for this? yeah, because I just think we have a better chance at figuring a way out of this if people take responsibility rather than deny responsibility mm. um, doesn't mean you have to be guilty but i I saw somebody say the other day it's like Look, you you don't need to be guilty around stuff, but you can still have shame around stuff. Like I have shame around the way Indigenous Australians exist in Australia, mm. and I think we should. Like, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, so that that willingness to engage in the problem is really what it what it gets to, and then you can get into and that's kind of the crossing the threshold questions. And Shane, just to be clear to everyone listening. I'm making all of this up as I go. So I'm like, if it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, I don't. I'm stumbling forward into this like everybody else. I love Um, that.
0: And I love that this is the conversation that we're having. And we were really open to kind of allow the conversation to go where it needed to go. Because I mean, if you're going to talk about power and privilege, and I love that you mentioned it up front, we're two very privileged people having a conversation about power and privilege. So we're both aware, I guess, of the irony of that, of that, uh, that conversation, Um, One of the things I like that you said there is, is how am I responsible um, rather than am I responsible?
1: Yeah. I reckon there's a big distinction between those two. Well, the idea is, I mean, I want to start off by going, I am responsible. Mm. That's my opening statement. I am responsible. And now let me explore that to go in what ways am I responsible? Mm. Because it just takes off the table the conversation about, am I or am I not responsible? I'm I'm not interested in that. I want to take responsibility for this. I want to take responsibility for the brokenness of the world. Mm -hmm. Like I'm prepared to shoulder that, and that is a a heavy burden. But it's only in that moment can I really feel like, uh, okay, if this world is broken and I'm responsible for that, Well, bugger me, what has to happen now? Mm. (laughs) How do I, like, you know, I'm now 52, and there's this great exercise from a guy called Kevin Kelly. Kevin, his website is kk.org, and he's the founder of Wire magazine. He's just one of the most interesting men around. He's written a series of amazing books. Um, He, years ago, I came across a, a post he did around how you calculate your own death date based on kind of, you know, insurance actuary tables and the like. So I have a, I have a death date involved. It's actually, actually, I think it's September the 22nd, uh, 2048. So um, I've got 28 years left, almost to the day, because we're recording this in September. So I'm like, okay. And um, Kelly says, you've basically got one big project every five years. So... I go, that means I've probably got four or five big projects left in me I have to choose carefully. Mm. I can't, I can't, I don't want to, I, you know, I can't kind of waste this opportunity.
0: One of the things I was listening to your, your podcast, you've got a great podcast called We'll Get Through This and you were having a conversation with this, your CEO at Box of Crowns. Yeah. And, um, one of the things she was mentioning is, is this ability for us to be able to get out of the space that we're in and almost elevate ourselves above it to be able to see the space that we're in and it right. kind of reminds me it's like you know being able to see the matrix for the first time or being able to you know know what yeah. water is if you're a fish like yeah. in many ways we're immersed in this place of power and privilege and we we don't necessarily see it i mean yeah. like, how do we get out of that space and hover above it to be able to acknowledge some of the space so that we can say that i am responsible
1: yeah i don't know if you ever get to see it fully mm. like i don't know if i ever fully really understand what i get from being white (laughs) or what i get from being male you know there's just so many little things that when you become aware of them you're like god if that's true what what else happens that i'm not even really aware of that i just win from being being who i am i mean i saw something the other day going somebody posting going you know men say there's no such thing as male privilege but then they go for a walk at midnight and I'm like, yeah, I do that. I go for a walk at night, and I don't think twice about it. Mm. Um, if I was a woman, I might think twice about that. I probably do think twice about that. So I don't know if you ever, if you ever get to that stage where you hover above yourself and go, oh, I'm fully seeing the system at play. Yeah, that's the whole thing about systems. You just <laughs> never get to see that. Yeah, you're like, you've just got this. It's like understanding that the universe is 99% dark matter and nobody knows what that is. It's like we literally do not understand what makes up 99% of our own universe. Like we just have no idea. We've figured out 1% and then you're going, and okay, and I'm a tiny percent of that 1% that we understand. I mean, you know, those, those statistics you see, which is, the brain is wired in a way that it only re- you only kind of are conscious of less than 1% of everything that your brain is taking in, mm. because your brain just couldn't, you just couldn't handle the sensory <laughs> overload if you're getting it all. So even as I look at my screen here, I'm kind of unaware of what's happening behind me or off to my left, really, I'm just unaware of it. Mm. So I'm like, okay, so Based on this so far, just humanity itself knows understands less than one percent of the universe. We just don't know what makes up the other ninety-nine percent. As individuals, we understand less than one percent of what our our body's taking in, and we're just you know one of seven billion people. It's like we know nothing. <laughs> we know nothing. <laughs> so let's stop trying to uh, strive after omniscience and go. All right, keep keep stumbling your way forward and do the best you can.
0: Mm, I love that. That's a really nice, nice um, perspective. Because again, like, I think we get these mirrors held up to ourselves from time to time from people who who don't experience the life that we experience. And you realize your privilege becomes really accentuated. And you go, I I didn't even realize that that was a privilege that I've been living with my entire life. Exactly, and so even just surrounding yourself with the right kind of people and the right kind of voices, um, a lot of the conversation we had really early on um, in some of the racial conversations, where people would often just say, especially around um, Indigenous Australia, um, people would often use the response, "Well, I just didn't know," and that was the the biggest theme that I kept ca- that kept coming through in conversations, and yeah. and that was my response for a lot of time. And there's still many things I don't know, and I think part of what this global conversation around um, privilege and power has done is um, forced us to kind of say to ourselves, well, actually it's, it's now it's time to know, and it's not yeah. enough to say, I just didn't know anymore.
1: Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm. You know, for people who are interested in some of these conversations, there's a, an amazing book that's come out relatively recently, uh, by an Australian indigenous man called Tyson Yankapora Porter, Yankaporta called Sand Talk. Mm. And it is fantastic it is a book about complexity about privilege about indigenous wisdom it's kind of not tourist indigenous wisdom but it's kind of a deeper understanding about how we see the world Mm. how we show up in the world and it's funny as heck i mean he is so (laughs) smart and he he holds a tone that is both smart and humble um and funny, and ironic, and serious at the same time. I mean, honestly, I think it's a masterpiece. Um, so if you're, if people are kind of getting hooked into this conversation, I, I can only but recommend Tyson's book. It's terrific.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, we're talking about this place of, of power, and you, you mentioned at the start that power is obviously something this kind of instinctive we kind of claw for uh, or pursue because of this yeah. kind of instinctive way of survival. Um, does it mean that when we're looking for, we're seeking to gain power, that, that, that pursuit is, is wrong or is it, um, should we be not be pursuing power or what, what does this journey look like? What is the role of power plays for, for say leaders?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there, there are too many non terms in that statement to know mm-hmm. how to react to it. Um, cause it's like, who are we talking about and yeah. what do we even mean by power? because it's a it's an amorphous topic but um again me stumbling into this so not really knowing what i'm talking about but for me at an individual level power is being able to ask for what you want um, knowing that the answer may be no but that's part of what it is it's also a, a a sense of shared access to resource. Mm. So it's like, you know, do, is there a, is there a relatively equitable access to the resources, both tangible and intangible? Um, And maybe that, that also takes you to a kind of sense of what power looks like at a kind of uh, organizational level. And I use organization, not just as a company, but even kind of a kind of a larger group of people. And what that what that means for some people is how do you step forward into the space and claim what you may not yet have claimed? And for some people, I think it's a how do you step out of the space so that there, there is an opportunity for other people to step into that? You know, what I notice that I try and do a lot of is I try to take up less space than I could otherwise claim. You know, when I give a keynote speech, I will have the audience doing a bunch of stuff for a lot of my, my talk because I'm like, you know what, it serves the audience better for them to be interacting and practicing and engaging with the other people in the room um, rather than me monologuing for an hour mm. or 75 minutes on the stage. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of is... Um, stepping aside from being the CEO at box of crayons and allowing Shannon to step into that role and how hard we worked on for two years, kind of a year before and a year afterwards to, to ensure that she felt fully resourced and fully equipped and fully empowered to run this company as her own which which was partly structural and then a bunch of work on my part going, how do I stop myself meddling? Mm. <laughs> and just, you know, like, oh, I want to give you all the crappy stuff to do, but I still want to have decision-making or whatever on, on certain things. I'm like, no, actually I need to really step out of the way so she can fully step into the spotlight there. Um, you know, I think coaching this, this technique and technology I've been championing for, for, X number of years is about going, I'm stepping out of the position of being the person who provides the answer. And I'm creating space for the other person to figure out what the real problem is and what the possible solutions might be. So it kind of depends on where you stand in the equation, but there's probably opportunities for all of us to step forward and claim more. Mm. And there's probably opportunities for many of us to step back and allow space for others to step into it.
0: Oh, I love that. That that picture that you can get of someone who is removing themselves out of a space that they have more than what they need to allow another person to get ultimately what they deserve and yeah. in, to hold that space in equal measure. One of the things I think that paints a beautiful picture of is that it's not about that you shouldn't have power or that you shouldn't have, um, influence or you shouldn't have, you know, this space. It's about going, if I do, how do I also at the same time
1: allow others to have the space that they need? You know, one of the, one of the people who's been very influential, influential in my thinking is a guy called Peter Block. And, um, I remember seeing him 30 years ago talking about, well, maybe 25 years ago, whatever, decades past, (laughs) Um, just pointing out that you know in organizational life corporate life we have uh, an org design an org structure which you know people will know what that looks like and that in no way represents how real power and real influence works its way through an organization and it's naive to think that we don't have to think about power because that's how stuff gets done and part of and so part of it's the invitation to say, Hey, can we step up here? Um, don't, don't pretend it doesn't happen. Don't pretend it isn't there. Um, and I think it's really easy if you have power to kind of go, look, there's no real power here. <laughs> it's like a, a classic power move. So I know it's fine. I don't really feel the tugs and pulls and <laughs> strains of power. So there's probably no power here. It's like, no, that probably means you just have a whole bunch of power. So <laughs> I, I, for me, part of what I've got really curious about is like, how do you surface a hidden map, a palm step that kind of is hidden and let's make it a little more obvious so that people can navigate. Uh, One of my favorite
0: stories was actually from, um, I think it might've been President Obama's inauguration and he went to the little church across the road and, and there was a pastor in America, his name's Andy Stanley, and he talked about he's been given five minutes to deliver a message to the newly elected president. And he's uh, the essence of his message is basically, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? And he said every, he realized in that moment, every room that the president walked into, he would automatically become the most powerful person in the room. And he said, you use and leverage that power for the benefit of others. And and I, I just love the picture that that holds of power when used in service to others is this really beautiful, um, really beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And one of the, uh, I mean, I've been going through this position to try and find the language to talk about what I want to do. And certainly part of the phrase is how to be a force for change. Mm. But tied into that somewhere is how to use your power for good. Um, So there's a, there's a number of things I like about that, which is one is an acknowledgement of power. Secondly, it's actively engaged in power. And thirdly, is use your power for good. Mm. But uh, like I say, just as a reminder, there's a little health warning scrolling yeah. across the bottom of your audio screen, which is like, Michael literally does not know what he's talking about. This is all <laughs> kind of like trying to stumble into the, the darkness myself.
0: But I feel like what where we're taking the
1: conversation
0: is where most people are having this internal conversation. What you're doing is externalizing and allowing us to process with you the conversation around around power, which is right. we all have power to some extent. Whether we feel yeah. powerless or whether we feel powerful, we have power. And, and some of us, we can be completely unaware of that due to privilege and the s- situations that we find ourselves in. But totally. to some extent, we all have it. It's about what do we do with it?
1: Yeah, exactly right.
0: I mean, if we were to kind of bring the conversation to a... Um, I guess a close in the sense that...
1: A juddering halt.
0: Yeah, a, jud- a juddering <laughs> halt. As you or- plunge
1: off a cliff into, you know... Well, I'm sorry, it, feel, it feels, it
0: feels like that. Cause I feel like I want the conversation to keep going, but if we were just kind of it take it like to, it should
1: minute. be in a bar drinking bourbon and talking about this for about three hours. Oh, Maybe I, that's your, ne- that's your next podcast series is like <laughs> drinking sessions with smart people. I I'm,
0: I'm all for that. I mean, most of the conversations I've had lately, I've be, I felt like I got to the end of it and going, okay, can we just keep going into this conversation? Um, I mean, for people who are listening to this and going, I feel like I want to be able to do more to step out of the space that I'm occupying and allow others more space. I want to be a mm-hmm. force for good. I want to use my power for good. I mean, where does a person start? I mean, what's the, the first step? Because change is, is hard. And you talk about that in the advice trap. Like where's the first step in this that gets us moving?
1: Well, I'm not sure. Um, and my, it I, perhaps you, you've, you've already articulated the first step, which is to feel a restlessness about how things currently stand and go, what if I took responsibility for something and decided to change? And then there's a, probably any number of pathways that open up. One of the questions that I started asking myself at the start of this calendar year that's been really helpful has been, who are my new teachers? Mm-hmm. Who are my new teachers? Because I realized that when I was CEO of Box of Crayons, part of my job was to have subject matter expertise in a number of different spots around coaching, around running a business and scaling a business, around design of training and learning. And, you know, I kind of went quite deep in those topics and found my teachers and mastered stuff. But now I'm like that, uh, the time now is for me to find different teachers. That's why I get excited by talking about Tyson Yockerpoer's book, Sand Talk, or if you want to go really kind of quirky around here, not quirky, but provocative. There's a, a I'm holding it up for you, you can see, but I'll read it out to people who are listening in. Um an uh, author called Hansi Freinacht, h a n z i, or Z i, depending where you are in the world. Freinach, F-R-E-I-N-A-C-H-T. And the book is called The Listening Society, A Metamodern Guide on Two Politics, Book One. Here's another fun, provocative, smart, funny, aggravating writer. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to find people who push me and provoke me and get me thinking differently. That, that helps for me there is a there is a program on uh, mbs.works which is my website called the year of living brilliantly mm. and that's got 52 different teachers delivering a short video once a week for the next 52 weeks for a year um and it could be that you could choose to find your new teachers in the year of living brilliantly mm. and that's an option um but i think it is to feel the restlessness or the discomfort or the cognitive dissonance and rather than push it away Mm. (laughs) sit with it and just start seeing what emerges from that um unwillingness to kind of accept the status quo Mm.
0: or even like you were saying before rather than fearing it being complicated to rest with the, te- settle with the tension of it being complex and being right. able to re- sit with that discomfort and restlessness that comes with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you give yourself permission not to know what the plan is, mm. <laughs> uh, or not to have to have the, the perfect plan that will solve the, the structural issue that hasn't been solved for 500 years. Um, <laughs> I do think there's a basic equation that says action trumps fear. Mm. And so and I, and I, and by action, I mean things like potentially just reading books, like find new teachers, but I think do doing something is one way of, of moving through the fear that you might be feeling around this, the fear. I, I feel that fear. So maybe you feel it as well. I, um,
0: I want to say a huge thank you to you. Um, because I feel like I, where this work is heading is work that is helpful um, on, on many levels to people. Um, and it, it compounds on the work that you have already done through obviously the work and the coaching habit and the advice. And, and I think this, this journey that you're on in terms of bringing the, the conversation around power to the world is, is a really helpful one. And I've just, uh, really valued our time together.
1: Shane, it's been a real pleasure. You're you're a very gracious, smart interviewer. So thanks for making me look better than I actually am. (laughs) Thank you. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking
0: the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a
1: fantastic week.